when people are abused, there's so many misconceptions that they always turn into the bully, the child that's raging in class and pushing and, and shoving everybody around that to the loud, obnoxious person. I did just the opposite. I became an angel so nobody would recognize that anything was wrong. I did everything exactly right. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. There wasn't a day in my childhood that I can remember that I wasn't abused. This is the amazing opening line of a book written by tonight's guest about being sexually abused by his father for 12 years. Dr. Gregory Williams is on the administrative leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. He's also the author of Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse, and he hosts the Breaking the Silence video podcast. Greg joins us to share his experiences, talk about his decision to forgive his father, and offer advice for people suffering from abuse. Greg, welcome to Grace and 30. Well, Ed, I tell you what, it's just a pleasure and honor to be with you uh, today. So thank you for the invite, and I'm looking forward to just visiting with you. So your abuse, shockingly, started at age four. And as I read your story in your book, as I watched some video interviews of you, you know, when did it occur to you uh, that something terrible was happening? You, you know, that's a great question to start off with, because I really, I really don't know, because when I started going back and looking and feeling, and when my life started falling apart in the, my mid-40s, I started to recall what had happened to me in my life. I'd always known it, but I really, I don't think, grasped the the massiveness and the impact that it made on every part of my emotional well-being and my health and my spiritual and my relational and uh, everything that I was dealing with in my life. Um, but to be honest with you, when I was four, five, six, seven, maybe, I thought what my childhood was like was absolutely normal. Hmm. Matter of fact, I remember uh, almost asking uh, a couple of my friends in grade school, hey, what's your dad do to you? Uh, because I, it was an everyday thing, sometimes twice a day uh, abuse. And it was just part of life. I didn't know anything else, but I may have been abused earlier than four, but that uh, story of me discovering that I was at least four when it, I had my first recollection uh, shocked even me. But I think when I knew things were starting to uh, be obviously wrong, probably I would say eight, eight years old in that area, I knew that I was in a different world that I was supposed to be in. Um, life started opening up and my eyes started uh, understanding that what I was going through wasn't of what other other children were going through. I, I'm just shocked by that comment. What you, you know, you, you say you almost said to a friend, what's your dad do to you? Did, did you actually slip ever and say that? Or, or that was something that you, you thought about once? 
No, I, I thought about it once, and it was with my one of my friends, Larry. Uh, and I remember vividly sitting in the floor uh, between classes, and uh, I think I was like in first grade, and almost asking Larry, hey, you know, but I didn't. Um, and I never did share anything with anybody through grade school uh, or high school, what was going on. Um, and I attempted to in college, but it turned bad. So I kept it silent all the way up, uh, to not too many years ago. So would it, would it be fair to say that as you started to realize that this was not normal and you, you became more and more aware of that, you became more and more, I should say, less apt to share it with others. Yeah. And I started disassociating myself from the, the life. So at that point, um, I became a real good actor and uh, put the, the smile on, um, was the happiest kid in class, uh, president of my eighth grade uh, uh, student council and um, achieved everything, got the you know American Legion, good citizenship award, a graduation in, in grade school and, and was just uh, the happy-go-lucky. So when people are abused, there's so many misconceptions that they always turn into the bully, the child that's raging in class and pushing and, and shoving everybody around that to the loud, obnoxious person. I did just the opposite. I became an angel so nobody would recognize that anything was wrong. I did everything exactly right. And there were certainly threats from your father to, to keep you quiet as well, right? I mean, this is typical in abuse cases, correct? From day one. Yeah, from day one that I can remember. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't before that, but that Christmas season, uh, 1967, I remember the first time vividly uh, of that Christmas catalog and him throwing it to the ground uh, and pulling my pajama bottoms down. And during that process saying, um, you know, Santa Claus doesn't bring toys to uh, little boys that don't make their dads happy. And then he threw in the line, nor does he bring toys to the brothers. And I had a brother uh, five years older than me and another brother 10 years older than me. And that put the fear inside of me already that if my brothers didn't get toys at Christmas they were to come after me. And when you're the youngest of, a th of three boys, um, I didn't want that to happen. So he was excellent at grooming me and brainwashing me to make sure I didn't tell anybody. I've read in this, either in your book or watching one of the videos that you wound up not even getting the gifts you were expecting for that first Christmas that he threatened you. That's right. It was like a week or two before when the, fir the first recollection of... Um, the abuse came, comes to mind. And then I do remember from that day forward, I literally don't remember a day that I wasn't abused um, all the way up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And the shock of Christmas morning running to the tree like every other child does in this world to get everything that I wanted and that was on my list that was promised to me if I made my father happy, wasn't there. Um, and not, not one, not one thing on my list was, uh, yeah, I had presents, but nothing that I wanted. 
And immediately, and I'm just now kind of thinking about this, I don't think I write about it or even have ever discussed it. I felt like I'd done something wrong. Maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe I didn't please him enough. And it's strange when you're in that type of relationship with your dad um, that you would do anything to make your dad happy. Hmm. And when you think you let him down, even though it was a evil uh, action that he was doing against me, I felt like I let him down a lot of times. Now, you said that in the book that when you talked to your mom about this, when she finally became aware of it from you, that she claimed she she was unaware of what happened. And you had these two brothers as well. If I'm not mistaken, one of them was sharing a room with you when some of the abuse occurred. Do, do you believe that they didn't know these things or that maybe perhaps they're in some sort of a state of denial or something? I mean, what what is your take on that? Well, that that's... Very interesting. And my my middle brother that I was sharing a twin, you know, room with two twin beds in that dad abused me every night uh, in that room uh, with my brother, Tony, six feet away against the wall in another twin bed. Uh, I do recall several times where Tony was looking at me and I would look over at him and he would make eye contact with me and then roll over. Um, Later on, when I was a teenager, my brother, Tony, abused me, too, mm -hmm. uh, with his girlfriend. And uh, so I believe that Tony was abused. I think he was just in the mode of, uh, it's not happening to me now. It's shifted to uh, my younger brother. And I believe my oldest brother, um, although we've never talked about it, um, was abused, too, just by the kind of personality and behavior that he has very bitter, uh, very angry. Um, and almost one day on the golf course, uh, before my mom died, when we was down in Orlando, cause that's where my mom ended up moving after I told her that I was abused. He almost told me something and then backed away and I never pushed it. Um, but I believe he probably was too. Wow. Uh, at, at least physically abused, if not sexually. Yeah, as, I, both. as I sit and think about it, it would make sense that that would be the case. So, so you go 17 years, evidently close to your 17th uh, birthday. Yeah. You resisted. Why don't you set the stage for that? Tell us what happened when you finally said no. Well, yeah, there's a lot of stories between all of that. But of course, it's in the book and there's no reason to go into uh, each of those. But um when I, you know, when you're four, five, six, and being sexually abused, and you don't know that not everybody else in the world is being sexually abused too, you just assume they are. I don't think it really got up into my gray matter in my head and hurt it much, even though it hurt me physically uh, and emotionally, I'm sure. But when you're a teenager and you have a girlfriend, um, and you're going out on a date with that girl and then coming home from that date and then hooking up with your dad by no choice of yours, it really gets up into your head and messes you up. And it really, really started to mentally, uh, deteriorate while I was dealing with in life. And I remember, uh, it was June 
uh, before my 17th birthday. You know, I, I was my birthday's in July, the last part of July, and uh, I remember going to the drive-in, seeing a movie with my girlfriend. And you know, as teenagers with your girlfriend that I've been dating for several years, I only had a couple girlfriends in high school. Um, you know, you're in the car and the movie, you're watching the movie and you're kissing a little bit, necking a little bit. And, you know, that's just a normal thing that teenagers do uh, back in the 70s. And I'm sure the 50s and 60s and all that, too. Uh, but I remember taking her home and I had to be home by midnight religiously. You did not violate that uh, code or you was beaten. Um I remember dropping her off a little before midnight. I had it down to a science of how many minutes it took me to get home, which was about 11 minutes um, because I lived out in the country from where my girlfriend lived. Kissing her goodnight and then driving home, knowing that I just kissed my girlfriend goodnight and realizing that I was going to be kissing my father good evening in a few minutes. That rage started swelling up in me. And there was time after time after time that I'd literally tried to commit suicide on the way home in my car, wanting to swerve into a bridge and take that little uh, car that I had as fast as I could down the highway. And then just wanting to twist the wheel enough to hit the bridge to, to not have to deal with this anymore. That kind of rage and anger was going on inside of me. But, but this particular evening, I was going home and, and I remembered the rage and it was more than normal. And when I walked into the door, uh, to our house, dad was standing there waiting on me and he said, Hey, good evening, son. Are you ready? And it was just like, wow, can I not even get in the house? And it just kind of irritated me. I knew it was going to come. I, I knew it was going to happen. I knew what to expect because it happened every night of my life. And I started to, uh, I guess, become agitated. And I said, well, let me go to my room and, and get my pajamas on. And I guess it was sweats and a t-shirt back, uh, when I was a teenager, but I went to my room and, um, uh, started taking off my clothes that I had on for the day. And I, I immediately felt his presence behind me. And I'm thinking, you know, dad, in my mind, can we not wait? We're going to his bed because I slept with him as a teenager. Uh, when my mom was out of town five out of the seven days. So it, it started building up in me like, dad, come on, give me a break. Let me have some time here is what I was thinking, but he immediately, uh, turned me around and pushed me to my back on the bed and got on top of me and started t ripping my clothes off, uh, in a, in a manner that was kind of out of the norm. It's like, wow, okay. It's going to be like this tonight. And I pushed back, uh, which didn't happen very often. And he kind of uh, gave me the grin of like, oh, we're going to have a little wrestling match, huh? Which we never did. And he immediately started in again. And the rage built up inside of me, Ed, that uh, I don't recall ever getting to that level before. And I pushed as hard as I could back. And dad was a small guy. And, and when I was 16 years old, 
uh, I was 200, you know, 205 pounds, um, about, about the size that I am now. Uh, matter of fact, I'm, I weigh less now. I pushed him back so hard that it, it pushed him all the way back and he almost fell down. And he looked at me and had that grin. And then the rage just built up inside of me. And I finally said, Dad, I tell you what, I swear to God, if you touch me one more time, I am going to tell the entire world what you're doing and have done to me. It was dead silence. I mean, nothing, nothing. He looked at me. And he kind of gave a, a a grimace or a little grin that was like, okay, type thing. And then he said the words that I still have nightmares on and I can't erase in my mind. That's the way it's going to be. Okay. And he went to the door, opened up the bedroom door, my bedroom door, and looked back at me. He said, good night, Greg. And for the first time in my childhood, in my teenage years, do I ever remember my dad calling me by my name? He always called me son. And that pierced my heart. It was literally, I knew at that moment in time, I'd lost my dad. And... It's strange, Ed, and it's not embarrassing, but it's hard for people to understand. I remember inside wanting to call him back when he closed the bedroom door after calling me Greg and saying, hey, Dad, come on back. I'll do whatever you want and make you even happier than you've ever been. Please don't leave me because I knew at that point uh, I had lost my father. From that moment on, we never had a conversation outside of, how's the weather? You doing okay today? Oh, okay. It was never father-son. It was always dad and Craig. And um, that pain still hurts today. I still feel that today. Yeah, it sounds like he was. it was a combination of a, a threat and trying to get you maybe to, to come back again and, and just saying, hey, you know, if you're not going to do this for me, this is the price you're going to pay. I, I've got to say, Greg, it's, you know, people say to me all the time when I talk about my divorce story, you know, they're like, wow, you're so candid, you're so whatever, but, but this is amazing what you're doing. I mean, it's, you know, I know people get squeamish when they hear these things. You you told the story in the book about your roommate in college. Mm. You, finally, you finally opened up to him and it just changed what was a great friendship into just something incredibly awkward from that point on. Mm-hmm. And then he he filed to get another roommate. He left. Yeah. And and so people hear these sort of things and for whatever reasons, maybe they've experienced something in the past or they just can't handle something like this. It's difficult. And I, I know, you know, all of us, people like you who've been through an abuse, you face that, that difficulty of sharing something like this being coming forth. But the benefits of this are are incredibly good. So maybe we should talk a little bit, because as I said to you, we're going to try to break this interview into a couple of half-hour segments. But you finally, you know, you sort of blurted something out. You were giving a presentation 20 years later, I think it was, when, you, you know, or however long later in, in a presentation, yeah. you, you said, hey, I was abused. And you sort of surprised yourself. 
and and you started to more freely talk about that and realized you know what a what a what a good thing this could be for others how you could help them through your experiences we actually prayed before we got on this call about you know god comforts us in all of our troubles so that we yeah. might comfort others what happened tell us the story of when you you know if you first blurted out in front of a large group of people what had happened and and what the reaction was yes and just to to finish the story dad never tried anything from that day forward and that guilt and shame of if i'd only done that pushed him away when i was 12 13 maybe it would have stopped runs through my mind a lot too but years later and i don't say this in the book because i deliberately uh ed if you get the book i don't mention jesus christ until the last page uh because i wanted this book to reach the entire world not just the religious world and i didn't want the book back in the religious section uh, I wanted it up where it is right now at Barnes & Noble next to The Child Called It uh, in Dr. Bruce Perry's book, uh, you know, The Boy Raises a Dog uh, and The Body Keeps the Score book and all that. I wanted it up in there in that section so everybody would recognize it and pick it up instead of being, oh, just a religious person that is going off and you know trying to sell a book that I didn't want that and I didn't want to be accused of that. But in the book, I say I'm in front of a group of people, and I was. But in reality, I was in front of my church. I was a pastor of a church, and um, I was preaching a sermon. And you know how us? Well, I don't know if you are or not, but I, I'm a Baptist, and and I was slinging sweat and getting excited and talking about the grace of God and how how great He is and how He forgives everybody and and starts a new beginning. And I was just slinging sweat, and I said, and you know, He just made me. I was trash. I was abused as a child, and when I said that, it just slipped out. And when I said it, there was a kind of a. Uh, whoa, across the crowd. And I knew there was no way to get out of that. And no I no turning said, back, yeah. no turning back. <laughs> and I know I opened a can of worms that there was no way any size of duct tape that I ever used to fix things around the home was going to keep it closed. So I just kind of sat on my, my stool and I said, um, yeah, I was sexually abused, uh, as a, as a kid. Um, and I left it at that. And something amazingly happened. Uh, I think my eyes, the scales off my spiritual eyes started uh, falling off. And when I said amen that day, there were people lined up to talk to me afterwards. They didn't come to the altar to pray, but they met me at the pulpit when I said amen and said, you know, Greg, me too. And I've never told anybody, how, how did you get through? And how did you make it? Did you feel like this? And I started building uh, an inner network of people that I really got involved with in counseling like I never have before. I wasn't taking just normal everyday problems or you're arguing with your spouse or having money problems. I went to a, a, another level in ministry that the Holy Spirit kind of revealed to me, hey, this can be something that can change a lot of people's lives. 
And um, from that moment on, I was open about it, but never took it outside of the church walls. And my church family then was very respectful. They never asked me. They never uh, tried to penetrate. Oh, no. And, you know, that was my fear. Uh, It was my fear uh, even sometimes still today. Uh, When I wrote the book, uh, I I never told my kids. I never told anybody in my family um, anything about it until I started writing the book. And the book is really from my journals of me trying to deal with it uh, and then just rewriting it for the, for the world. And that's how I told my kids. I sent them a chapter at a time of my book. And if you've read the book, you'll realize it starts off <laughs> in the prelude. Uh, here it is. Boom. There's no, there's no five chapters of uh, butterflies and, and uh, the Walton's uh, family mountaintop uh, experiences, it starts right in. This is what happened. Boom. And when my kids started getting this, he said, Dad, what's this all about? And I said, well, you'll find out. Hang with me hmm. and you'll find out that I want to talk about it. Um, but they never rejected me. And I really thought I would uh, receive that rejection um, from my church. Uh, but I found out that you know God's family accepts ministers that aren't perfect. Um, and I was from a culture that thought I had to be perfect to be accepted or loved. And that is the opposite of what God's grace is all about. And um, I, I love that I received it not only from, from Jesus, but from the people that were Jesus followers. And it was a beautiful thing. It changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, a, not enough examples these days in the media of how to behave as a Christian of these sort of true graceful acts from other believers to each other right. and to the world. Um, we were, time is flying. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, we're going to definitely touch in the next half on these issues of, of, you know, how people yeah. can get help and, and, and another very deep moment when you forgave your dad, but in, in a minute, or a minute or a little more, can, what is really on your heart now? What do you want to quickly share with listeners, something you tell people these days, you want to make sure when you meet someone, you, you get across this particular point. Well, what I, is that? I talk to everybody I can about it. When I'm at a restaurant, um, I'll talk to the waiter about it, the waitress about it. I, I hand out my business cards to a couple of people at each, you know, at a table or two before I walk out. Uh, hey, if you ever need help if you know of somebody that has a story that has been abused wants somebody to talk to here's my personal phone number here's my card uh let me know and i'd love to help them and i think in this day and age with what's going on in our world ed we need everybody to know no matter how bad it gets no matter what this pandemic has done to us no matter what the politics and the stress of the politics and the trauma of the riot and all of this stuff that happened at the capitol that God's in control, and there's always hope. Hope is always available, and we have to realize that. And one thing I told my church family Sunday, when I think they were anticipating me talking about the news uh, during the sermon, I probably disappointed a lot of them when I said, I'm not going to talk about 
the news. I'm going to talk about the answer to what's going on in the news, and that's Jesus Christ. And it has to be in him. And any time that we follow anybody else besides Jesus and his word, we're going to regret it one day. And we're going to be embarrassed by it one day. And we're going to need to step back and go, I made a mistake about following that person. But I've never had to say that about my Lord and Savior. And I never will. I promise you that. Well, Greg, I think you nailed it, and um, I can't thank you so much for your uh, enough for your frankness. And if listeners want to find out more, you've got a website called ShatteredByTheDarkness.com, and you also have the Breaking the Silence, uh, I call it a video podcast. People can certainly check that out. I'm going to wrap up now and then start another interview here. This is Ed and Greg signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, everybody, and be sure to tune into Grace.